Good morning. What great worship we've had today. Hey, I'm glad you're here this morning. Let me tell you what we're doing. Um, I am preaching through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And today we're going to be looking at 11 verses. Verses 3 through 14 in the first chapter. And you may remember last week I talked about why Paul wrote this letter and where he wrote this letter. When Paul wrote this letter, he was under house arrest living in Rome in the year 62 A.D. About two years after he wrote this letter, he would be executed for his faith in Christ. The Apostle Peter was also living in Rome at the time, and Peter would be crucified upside down. During a two-year period, while under house arrest, many people came to see Paul, and Paul wrote and spoke and taught about his faith in Christ and what it means to be a part of his church. It was during this time that he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. Many years earlier, Paul had visited Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And you can read the story of Paul's uh, missionary journey to Ephesus in the book of Acts. And it's quite a dramatic story about the uproar his preaching caused in the city of Ephesus. By the time Paul left, after spending two years there in that great city, which was the fifth largest city at the time, and it had one of the seven great wonders of the world, the temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis. By the time he left two years later, a church had been well formed and established. He had commissioned and trained leaders who then went out to the surrounding countryside in Asia Minor, Turkey today, and he, they then started new churches. Paul, when he was again in prison, and I may have mentioned this, wrote four letters called the prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians at the end of his life. What we're going to read today is an expression of praise. It's an expression of thanksgiving, joyful praise. Have you ever been just so excited, so excited that when you were telling someone about something that's happened to you, that the words just came flying out of your mouth, you couldn't even take a breath, and when you stopped, you were breathless? That's Paul in this opening of the letter. Eleven verses with no punctuation, no periods, no commas, just one praise after another, talking about blessings, how God has blessed us. In fact, there's a word that is often used, a theological word, it's often used to describe this opening chapter. It's the word doxology. You've probably heard that word before. You may not know what it means. But the word doxology means thanksgiving, to give an expression of thanksgiving to God for who God is. And in our traditional worship service, we sing a traditional doxology. You may have sung this growing up. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Father above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And, and every song we sing, um, 
is, is in a sense a doxology. It's offering our praise to God for God's blessings. We sing another song in early service today, uh, much like that one. It's called Heaven Came Down. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and filled my soul. So, so I've titled this message this morning that we have been chosen for blessing. Chosen by God for blessing. And I want to read the passage to you now. And then we're going to talk about what that blessing looks like. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I love that. The riches of his grace that he's lavished on us. That's like going to Comfy Cow and asking for two scoops and you get three with nuts on top. Come on now. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. I just think this is something we often neglect to hear, taught. The reason God has done all this because it pleases him. It pleases God to please us. He doesn't begrudgingly give us his grace. He gives us his grace and his plan because it pleases him. It brings him pleasure. Which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Paul's understanding of the church is that what he's doing with all his blessings. And what he's doing with all this choosing is that he's bringing people together from the four corners of the earth. From different nations and nationalities and religions and different customs and races and ethnicities to form one church. Not a church united in belief, but a church united under the authority of Christ. His authority, that Christ is the head. He's bringing people together, reconciling God to human beings and human beings to one another, forming a new humanity. And he then says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. We could spend the next six weeks talking about the gospel of your salvation. This is what that means. First of all, what it doesn't mean. 
religion, different religions in the world, including Christianity, sometimes teaches this. That if you are good, God will love you and God will save you. Therefore, here is how you are to be good, to be loved and to be saved. Your life then becomes a life of obligation to earn your love and acceptance from God. That's religion. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that before you ever decided to be good, before you ever thought of God, God had already chosen you and saved you because He is good, not because you're good. And it changes the motivation from being good to win favor to being good out of gratitude. It's a huge difference. It's what makes Christianity unique from all world religions, and it is grace. Grace, grace, grace. And he goes on and says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay, right off at the beginning, let's just say this is an audacious statement at the very beginning when he talks about blessing. It's just radical. The idea that God who created the heavens and the earth would just open up the heavens and pour his blessings on you before you even earn them, before you even deserve them. Notice the language he uses, past tense. He already has blessed you. Again, back to that understanding of the gospel. Religion teaches if you're good, God will bless you. Paul says, God blesses you because he's good, and then we are good out of gratitude. We live gratefully, and we live a different life because we're thankful. And you can tell who has it and who doesn't because the people who don't have it walk around trying to earn it under the burden of it. But when people have it, when they show up for worship, the praise comes out of their mouth because they realize how blessed they are. The other thing I would point out to you, what this word blessing means. It's not the weak blessing that we give, you know, like blessing your food, bless you, you sneeze, bless you. Or the southern insult we often give, bless his heart. Right? Blessing here... Blessing here has a, um, a profound meaning. Here's a definition of blessing in the, the New Testament Greek. Every benefit and joy that your heart longs for deeply. In other words, the thing that you long for. Oh, I mean, the thing that makes you want to fall in love. The thing that makes you hungry for meaning. The thing that makes you wake up in the middle of the night wondering what this life is all about, that longing, he's saying that God has 
purposed for you to fulfill the deepest desires of your heart, to, to, to give you what you long for. You know, one of the things I've noticed, and I don't intend to insult every person in their 20s this morning, but I probably will. Um, you know what I've noticed from being around 20-year-olds is that 20-year-olds are often some of the most unhappy people on the earth. I, I don't want to insult you, but it's not true in every circumstance. But what I've discovered is that older people are happier than younger people. It's true. Now, now it's, it's, it doesn't make sense because you would think that an older person would be less happy than a younger person. Because an older person like me is, it's like I'm getting closer and closer to the light. Stay away from the light, David. You're, you're, you know, life is coming to an end. You're 55. You know, you, things are winding down. Your body doesn't work the way it used to. You're not as young as you used to be. You know, you would think that older people would be less happy than a younger person. But you know why older people are happier? It's because they realize that the things that you were told will make you happy when you were younger are not true. And you've quit trying to make yourself with happy with stuff that won't make you happy. You know what I'm talking about. If someone will love you, if you'll just find the right young woman, the right young man, they will fill you, they will complete, you'll be happy. But that's a lie. It's Disney. It's a fairy tale. It's, it's not real. Or if you could just achieve this thing with your life, if you could just... And so what happens is young people are told this story over and over again by a culture about what makes them happy, and they keep getting disappointed. So every time they're in a relationship or they can't find a relationship, and the relationship ends or the relationship doesn't happen, then they're disappointed and they think something's wrong with me. And they walk around all the time uh, with this sort of, you know, what's wrong with me and this sort of sad state. When they're in a relationship, everything's great until they find out the person they're with isn't so great. The problem is I can stand up here and everybody in the room that's 20-year-olds is not going to believe me because I'm a 55-year-old preacher. And what does he know about romance and love? Just ask his why. He doesn't know. He was never young. He was never in school. He never had his heart broken. But what Paul is saying here is the thing you're looking for has already been given to you. That you can't get what you need from someone outside yourself. People can't give you what only you can get from above. That the thing that you long for is Christ. And so what happens when you're older... And you've had your head beat against the wall again and again and again. Finally, you give up. Some of you are still beating your head against the wall. But what he says here, how does the blessing come? The blessing comes in Christ. Listen to the phrases. Blessed us in Christ. Chose us in him. Through Jesus Christ. Freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption. In him we were chosen. We were included in Christ. You were marked in him. We are God's possession because of Jesus. Over and over again it says the blessing comes through through Jesus. Now you could take any one of these, these six phrases and this is what the blessing looks like. We could spend months on this. I'm just going to pick a couple of them. But I'm going to give you the six. 
Here's six things, that, the way that we're blessed. He says we are chosen, we are adopted, we are purchased or redeemed, we were given purpose, we've been marked, and we are his prized possession. Don't go to Barnes and Nobles looking for a self-help book to build your self-esteem. Know instead that the God who created the heavens and the earth considers you his prized possession. What a self-esteem builder it is to see that you are his prized possession. But that first one, just look at the first one for a minute. We think that we chose God. We think we rose our hand, he saw us with our hand raised, and we picked him. He picked us. Before you ever even thought of God, God thought of you. I had a, 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 just a, a great experience at the church picnic last week with a bunch of the children in our church. I decided an impulsive uh, moment to organize a relay race that turned out to be a complete disaster. Uh, the little girl, the little girl to the left, standing behind the girl in the white shirt with the little brown, sort of goatish, goatish colored skirt named Millie, she is a real troublemaker. Uh, she, she wanted nothing to do with me, but she wanted to be in the race. So what I decided is I got all the kids together in the middle of the field, and uh, Adam Yang was in first grade. He helped me recruit everybody, and he kept saying, there's going to be a big race. There's going to be a big race. Mr. Dave's holding the race. Really, I'm going to get to be in the race. He was so excited. He got all the kids in the middle of the field. There was about twice as many kids ended up gathering around us. It was a total disaster. I do not know how to organize small children in a relay race. There was a little boy there named Colin, and Colin is about two. His cowboy boots kept flying off. He was not running in the right line. He was crossing lines. There were collisions. There were injuries. There were Band-Aids. The, the whole thing ended with a terrible fiasco when I abandoned the game and decided to do the hokey pokey, and there was a huge dispute. The Rogers kids, which are just terrible children, <laughs> wanted to play the Jesus hokey pokey. And I said, what's that? You know, you give your heart to Jesus and you turn yourself around. That's what I said, it's not all about that at all. I want to play the pagan hokey pokey. And, and, then it, and it just ended with kids just walking away completely disgusted. They will never come near me again. But the moment I won't forget in the whole thing was when I said, who wants to be in a race and we're picking sides? Every hand went up. Pick me. Pick me, pick me. And everybody in this room knows what it's like to want to be chosen, to want to be picked, whether it's to find a spouse, whether it's to have a job, whether it's to be on a team, to be a part of a group. But what the gospel is, you have been picked before you ever raised your hand, and you get to be a part of what he's doing. I mean, I'm going to preach it now, George. Come on now. I heard an amen in the back. And you know, he goes on and he uses the word adopted. You know what that means? It may not mean much to us, but I want to tell you, in that culture in Ephesus, a father could reject his children at birth, and they would take the rejected children for any blemish and set them aside at the city dump to either die of the elements, it was a harsh, cruel culture, or to be picked up by a slave trader. You could walk by the city dump in Ephesus and hear the crying of children who had been left aside as refuge by their parents. And slave traders would walk by, and a book had been written to describe how to identify a child that would be worthy 
of your investment to raise to sell as a slave. So you're sitting in worship and you were abandoned by your parents and suddenly you hear this word read that you have been adopted, you've been picked out, you were left in the city dump to die, but the heavenly father has selected you for his adoption to be a part of it. I know somebody here today feels like they haven't been loved, that they've been tossed aside, maybe rejected by a loved one, by a family member, by a spouse. They don't feel connected, but you need to know that you've been adopted into his family. You may think you have no family, but in Jesus, you have family. And Bob, you going to shout amen or what? Come on, Bob's got his hand up. I mean, that's just good news. And then he uses the word redeemed, purchased. You see, in that congregation would have been slaves. And a slave could be purchased for freedom by a family member. You pay the price, you pay the debt, the slave is set free. And the idea is that Jesus paid our debts to release you from your bondage to your old life and your own selfish pride and interest. Arland Williams in 1982 got on an airplane, flight number 80 out of Washington, D.C. Soon upon takeoff, the Arland Williams plane, he was a passenger, hit the Potomac, the bridge over the Potomac River, and the plane crashed into the Potomac, killing 78 people. There were six survivors hanging on to the tail of the plane that was barely floating in the water. Helicopter came over to rescue the six survivors. Arland Williams, when the line came down, was standing on top of the tail. He dove into the water, and one by one he attached every single person ahead of himself, and they pulled him to safety and rescued them. Arlen Williams, when the line came down from Arlen, it was too late. He sank into the frozen water, and they later had to drag the river to find his body. His family would later say he was terrified of water, but Arlen Williams gave up his life for five others who were complete strangers to him. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying that in Jesus Christ, God sent him down for you, and instead of taking himself up, he offered himself for you out of his goodness, and not because you were good, but out of his grace. Because as he says here at the end, that you are his prized possession. And when it says you have been marked, you know, in that culture they would brand a slave. And a lot of you feel like you've been labeled by your past or locked into your past. You've been branded or stereotyped. People looked at you and branded you or marked you in some way. But the gospel says that when Jesus reached down and grabbed a hold of you and brought you into his family and poured his blessings upon you, he has marked you as his own, as his prized possession. And it's not an external marking, it's an internal marking. It's, it's his presence. His holy presence has taken up residence in your heart, pushing out the darkness. Man, is that good, George? Amen, that's good stuff. So, so listen, this, this passage is uh, controversial because there's a whole 
whole groups of Christ, Christianity that argues over the subject of predestination, the, the language of election, that there are some who are saved and some who are not, that some were chosen and some were not. It comes out of the tradition of John Calvin, uh, Calvinism, and I'm not saying that that point of view is wrong, but it is troubling. Because it means that in this room, there are some who have been predestined to be saved and some who are not. Now, you can make a good argument in the Gospel of John and in Ephesians for that point of view. But let me point out to you what I believe. This is what I believe. I believe in predestination. I believe in election with a little twist. I believe that every single person who draws air in this life has been predestined to be loved and chosen by God. I just think it's that simple. I mean, why, why, would, why would we want to draw a line and create all that fear and anxiety for people? Why would we just not choose to believe out of the radical grace of God that everybody has been predestined to be loved and filled with the presence and the power of His Spirit? I just believe that. And you know, you want to know you want to know how we know who has it? I mean, everybody gets it, but do we get it? You know what the difference is between those who, who know they have it? It's praise. It's doxology. It's, 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 it's showing up for worship with all your heart and voice, singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Come on, get to our feet, folks.